If you have your Bibles, open with me to Acts chapter 21. If you're new, hi, my name is Mark. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us. Uh, We've been studying uh, the book of Acts this summer, and actually the past three summers, we're going to stop here today in the book of Acts and pick it up next summer. So uh, uh, we're going to transition to a couple of one-off weeks, and then I'll start a series in about three weeks called New and Improved as we begin our school year. Looking forward to talking you through the things that God hopes will be new in us as we follow him. Uh, But uh, it's been my pleasure to kind of outline with all of us the things that have happened in the story of the early church here in these uh, middle chapters of the book of Acts. We've been following particularly the story of a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he uh, uh, basically plants churches all over the Mediterranean. And uh, today he is actually finally coming back to Jerusalem, uh, his home, his, his, his uh, place uh, where he uh, kind of originated from. When he, when he left Jerusalem uh, years ago, at the time of this reading, uh, he had left Jerusalem to go and persecute Christians. On the way, he became a Christian uh, he's been back once to talk with the council at Jerusalem. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, but uh, now he's returning again, and uh, he's there for the Passover. He's there to visit with the church in Jerusalem. We're going to find out that he doesn't quite fit the mold in the church in Jerusalem. He's different. And now we're going to talk about unity in the church today and how we take all of us who are so different and all of the other churches that are meeting this morning are so different, and we try, we strive uh, in honor of God and and in response to his commands to find unity on the things that matter most. Now, we're all different. Does everybody agree? Yeah, we're all different. In fact, I thought it'd be fun today just to kind of show how different we are. You can stand if you are physically able, or if you are not, you can just raise your hand. But I'm going to give you some things that you can either like or dislike, and if you like them, stand up. If you don't like them, stay seated. Is everybody ready? Let's do some aerobics. Here we go. Uh, If you like raw tomatoes, please stand up. I will be sitting on that one because... (laughs) They taste like eyeballs. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> Not that I would know. You can sit back down, or you, or you can just stay standing and sit down and, uh, according. How are you feeling? You just, it's, you know, freestyle. Jay, stay up. All right, here we, here we go. Uh, if you like chocolate, stand up. All right. Oh, yeah, okay. This was a big one last night, too. But I, I see some not standing, and I don't understand that at all, and <laughs> welcome to the human race. Here we go. If you like the beach, stand up. I'm out. I am so out, and I live in Florida. What a brutal, brutal existence, but sweat and sand do not go together. If you like Boston's baseball team, stand up. All right, all right, settle down, settle down. Uh, If you like to run for exercise, stand up. Here's the runners, and there's the non-runners. How's it going? Uh, Let's go to music. If you uh, like classic rock, stand up. If you like country music, stand up. Oh, geez. Uh, If you like hip-hop, stand up. This is a newfound thing for me. I kind of like it now. I didn't like it when it started, but it's it's growing on me. Coffee. Do you like coffee? Stand up. Can't stand this stuff. Who's got, raise them high. Who's got one? There you go. If you like tea, stand up. I will drink some tea. If you... If you like hot weather, stand up. What is your problem? (laughs) Seriously. I just swamp out every time I walk out of my house. If you like cold weather, stand up. Oh, yeah. There we are. There's the polar bears. Open your presents on Christmas Eve, stand up. Open your presents on Christmas Day, stand up. Open a little of both. 
Wave it in the air like you just don't care. There you go. Maybe we can all agree on this one. Uh, we're all interested, at least interested, in knowing who Jesus is and following him. Anybody that can stand up on that one? All right, good. All right. Maybe some of you can't yet. If, that's, if you can't, that's no big deal. Have a seat. Uh, we're, we're praying that you're here because that's going to be your conviction sometime soon. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're all different. <laughs> Everybody agree that we're all different? We're going to have differences of opinion. And, uh, and yet, all 7.2 billion of us are different. All 2 point whatever uh, you know, billion of us who are Christians are different. And we come at uh, this faith thing from many different angles, from many different experiences. Uh, we have tastes and desires and, 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 and preferences. Uh, and what God has called us to is this body, this big amalgamation, this melting pot of all those differences. And he asks us to rally around the things that matter most. Churches sometimes, though, they don't. That's why there's so many of them. I mean, I'd love to think that all the churches in our community were born because they were missional and they were, you know, set out by church. And there certainly are churches that were born that way. But there's a lot of churches who just didn't like it where they were, and so they went and did their own. Some of those were for good reasons, I'm sure, that churches can kind of get sideways. I'm not saying that all churches are perfect. But, but a lot of churches just start because they don't like it how you're doing it where they are, and so we're just going to go make our own. Like, you drive up Kingsway, you turn at 60, and you go to MLK, there's nine churches on our road. Nine of them. Uh, you, you, I didn't do the count for Brandon. I guess I could have opened the yellow pages or something like that. But, uh, but there's a bunch. It's like every corner you, you turn on, uh, there's another church. And <laughs> but what often happens in, in churches, in, in a community or churches around the world, is that we become rivals. It's almost like a competition. I had a guy, my first year when I was here, he came up to me and, and he was excited for the new pastor and he was introducing himself and all that stuff and he says, you know, I know you're going to make us the best church in Brandon. And I was like, well, we're going to be the best church that God can help us be. But I told him, I said, you know what, I hope every church in Brandon is the best church in Brandon. I hope every church has a problem fitting everybody in, especially if they're preaching the gospel like we preach and if, and if they're leading people to truth. I want every church to be the best church in Brandon because we're on the same team. But a lot of times that doesn't fit in our heads. Even in, inside a church like this, there can be factions. I'm grateful that I, I don't know of many in our, our body, uh, but, but we're different. We just proved it. And we're going to be different along some different doctrinal lines and from different you know, church experiences and stuff. And, and, and in some churches, that, that becomes a real divisive element. It becomes this, this, this point of contention between brothers and sisters in the, in the faith. And people can leave because you're not like me. Or you don't do it like I wish you would do it. I call uh, uh, this kind of Christianity the Goldilocks Christianity. You know, this church is too soft. This church is too hard. This church is too loud. This church, whatever, you know. And listen, don't, don't get me wrong. Be where God wants you to be. There's a pl- listen, the reason there's all these boxes is because God wants different people learning to, you know, follow Christ and be discipled under different people I got no problem with that. Be where God wants you to be. But understand that when you go somewhere, you are not there to receive alone. You are not there to take. You are not, it's not the mall. You're you're not there for what you can, you are there for what you can give. You are there for how you can bend in love towards the, the different people who are assembled in that body. No one here is better than anybody else. No one here. Uh, their preferences are more important than anybody else's. 
Uh, we just have to learn to live in fellowship and learn to live together in here and then with other churches out there. Because that's how the mission moves forward. That's also the answer to one of Jesus' uh, longest prayers. He, he prays right before he goes to the cross in John chapter 17. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asks that famous uh, ask of his father. He says, listen, if this cup, you know, if, if, if we can do this some other way, you know, let this cup pass over me. But, but if, if this is how it's got to be done, you know, speaking of the cross, this is how it's got to be done. And then, then he, he kind of stops praying for himself, and then he starts praying for the church, like the current followers of Jesus Christ at his time in history, and then those of us who would follow him eventually. Want to read what he says? He says in John 17, I do not ask for these only, it's referring to the, to the immediate Christians, the disciples and the others who are following, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Everybody who's gonna to come to Christ as a result of these disciples and their disciples and their disciples, 2,000 years, you with me? He says, this is my prayer, that they, say it with me, that they may all be just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. All right, just, there's lots of words in between there, but he says, I, I pray that they'll all be one, and then he ends that sentence with, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know what, <laughs> you know what the biggest problem with the Christian church is? Christians. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, certainly, you know, uh, we, we bumble and fumble and, and and we aren't always the best testimonies and stuff like that. But I, but I think even greater than that is the fact that Christians are so often at each other's throats in this rivalry and in this contention. It's not supposed to exist in the church. I mean, certainly we have to divide. Listen, let me, let me kind of set this up because you're kind of figuring out where I'm going. Certainly when it comes to doctrinal issues, we keep the majors of majors. If someone says they're a Christian but doesn't believe that Christ is God, first of all, they're not a Christian and they don't have a part of us doctrinally. We are incompatible, okay? So when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to the majors, we don't budge. I had a, a young lady, uh, uh, you know, a little while ago email me. She's a sweet, uh, seeking, uh, you, know, you know, person who is interested in Jesus Christ. She came to our church with her boyfriend who, who grew up in a, in a different um, strand of religion. Christian-y, but not all the way what I would say is, is the Christian faith. It's not our doctrine. And so she wrote me and she said, my, you know, my boyfriend doesn't feel comfortable. Can you kind of fit in some of the things that he's used to in some of your preaching? And, and you know, you and I laugh because, you know, whatever. But, but I thought that was just such an honest request. And I respectfully and lovingly wrote her back and said, sister, wouldn't that be great if we could just kind of fudge the lines on, on what we believe? But we can't. And so I'm not going to preach uh, what other religions hold to or what other, you know, christian face, you know, cling to. I'm, I'm going to preach the gospel. And if that's offensive, that's what Jesus said it would be. It's, it's a scandal. It's, a, it's something that we're going to stumble over, but, but that's what I got to do. We could change other things. We can turn the air down or we can, you know, do something like that, but, but uh, we're not going to change what we believe. So, so with that as our, our understanding, I'm not talking about doctrinal stuff, but I am talking about preferences. When it comes to our preferences, we should be willing, wherever we can, to bend in honor of the other. In fact, I'm going to skip to Ephesians 5. That's what uh, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Bend for the sake of the other. Serve one another. Honor each other in their preferences. Now, I'm, I'm growing in this. I haven't arrived, but I'm growing in this. I, I, I'm realizing that when I was critical of someone else's worship style or someone else's, 
you know, upbringing in the faith or rolled my eyes at something that I didn't necessarily agree with, um, I was guilty of non-submission. I mean, if it, if it wasn't doctrinal, if it wasn't something that they were in error in, uh, and it was permissible in the faith, it shouldn't be something that I look at and be like, <sighs> it should be something that I strive to understand. It should be something that I uh, uh, honor, you know? My mom and dad used to listen to the Gaithers growing up, right? And, uh, I mean, I'd walk in, and they'd have never one of those homecoming tapes popped in. Every, every night I walked in, man, it was just, if you don't know, the Gaithers are this old gospel, you know, jam band. I don't know what they are, but they, uh, uh, but it's not my style of music. And every time I would walk in, I'd just roll my eyes. I'd just be like, oh, this again, you know, more of that, you know, that music. And, you know, college, college kid, you know, uh, uh, Bible school, know-it-all. My mom took me aside one day, and she said, Mark, I want you to know that when I'm watching the Gaithers, it ties me to a time in my life when I came to know Christ and truly found faith in him, and I love And every time I hear him, my spirit soars. Now, it may not be appealing to you, but this is how God ministers to me. And I'd appreciate it if my father and I are watching these things for you not to come in and huff and haw and roll your eyes because you might be standing a little bit in the way of the Holy Spirit doing what he wants to do. <laughs> okay, Mom. <laughs> but that should be the case for all of us. Why? Because it's Jesus' prayer that we'd be one. It's God's command through Paul to the letter, in the letter to the Ephesians that we submit to each other. He says later in the same letter, or earlier, excuse me, in the same letter, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There should be peace in the church. There should be peace between churches. It's what brings the unity that the Spirit desires in us as followers. He says, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all, and that's all. Paul says, hey, stay together, same team. Work through your differences. Love each other despite them. It's one of our values here. If you've gone through membership class, you know one of our eight values is unity. We want to stay together. We want to move together so that we can be a force in accomplishing God's will in reaching others for Jesus Christ. So how do we maintain unity in the church? We're just gonna cover that in a story today in the book of Acts. Thought I forgot we were in Acts, or I didn't. Uh, we're gonna talk about, uh, from this story in Paul's life as he comes to the church in Jerusalem, how we can maintain unity. And the first thing we're gonna see is that we need to keep the main thing the main thing as we celebrate the win. Look what happens, Paul gets to Jerusalem and he's greeted there uh, by the brothers. And they received him gladly. The other Christians in, in, in uh, the Christian community and in the Christian churches in Jerusalem were glad to see this, this uh, long heard of and only seen once apostle who was planting churches. We're talking like over a 30 year period. He's planting churches all around in the Mediterranean. And so now he's come back. He's, everybody's older and, and, and the, the Christian faith has gone through all kinds of permutations and spread throughout uh, the known world. And, and uh, he comes back and they receive him gladly. Uh, part of this could be the fact that he was bringing an offering. If you ever read any of the other epistles, uh, he'd been asking a lot of the Gentile churches to support the Christians who were constantly under persecution uh, with an offering. And, and, and scholars believe that this was when the offering was delivered. Paul brought it himself. So I'm sure if I came in with a big bag of money, you'd be glad to see me too. 
But I don't think that's where it stopped. They were really glad to see him. Why? Because uh, he told them the stories. Look what it says in the next verse. It says, after greeting them, he related one, uh, one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his mystery. So he told all the miracle stories, the, the, the close call stories, the ways uh, that he had been you know, uh, in Ephesus for two years and preached the gospel in such a way that everybody in Asia had heard the good news. I mean, he just related uh, story after story. He had some of, the, some of the guys who had come to Christ from uh, the Gentile region with him in his, in his party. He said, this is you know, so-and-so, and this is so-and-so, and they came to Jesus you know, in one of our first meetings in their town, and now they're elders in the church, and everybody's freaking out over in the Jewish uh, culture here, in the, in the Jerusalem church. They're freaking out over the fact that Paul has just seen such an incredible harvest of souls. And for, the, for that one, you know, moment, they're, they're not distracted by all their differences. They're just united around their common goal, which is to see the gospel of Jesus Christ make an impact on the lives of people who don't know him. Now listen, you can come to church, and you can make it about all kinds of things, but you know what church is really about? You know why we're still here, right? The only reason you and I aren't raptured at the minute that we are saved is because the mission is not completed. You and I are hanging out here. Not so that we can just kind of work on our own discipleship and grow in our own sanctification and kind of rub up against some other people who are doing that. We are here predominantly and firstly to make a difference in a world that is dark without Jesus. And when roses hit this stage and when we dunk people in that tank, that's the win. There's lots of other subwinds. I'm not saying they're not there. But the only reason that the church remains on earth is that there are not enough people in the church. More people need to know him. So may God keep us from being sidetracked. May God keep us from being uh, absorbed in ourselves and in our preferences. And may he keep us concerted in our efforts and his vision to reach his world. That's why I'm so stoked for Alpha. I'll just echo what Dan said. Uh, Daniel, you know, uh, started this thing and. We saw Celeste get baptized last night, uh, the young lady in the video. Um, it's a chance for us to share Christ with our friends who don't know him. And it's one of my favorite ones that I've heard of in a long time. Uh, there's a guy at, at my golf club who uh, knows I'm a pastor, and, and he came up to me and he said, hey, I'm an agnostic, probably an atheist, but someone gave me this book, and it was uh, Lee Strobel's Case for Christmas. He got it at Christmas time. And he says, I don't have any use for this. Do you have any Christians that want to read this? <laughs> uh, probably, um, but you know, and he said, you know, I, I mean, I know the guy meant well, but it's, you know, it's just, I'm pretty set in what I believe, and, and I thought, I'm going to ask you to dinner, and so pray for me, I'm going to ask my buddy Terry to dinner, see what happens, and uh, he might just look at me funny and tell me no, but at least I'll ask him, and you should ask whoever you're thinking of right now, uh, you should ask them to come. And see what happens, because that's the win. People knowing and following Jesus, that's the win. In fact, this is the whole idea of contextualization. I'm going to kind of riff here for a second, but Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians. He says, uh, chapter 9, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, uh, that I might win more of them. He says, To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law of Moses I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. We're going to see that actually play out here in the story in this Jerusalem account in Acts. To those outside the law, Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. He could go on. 
But he did this, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. It's called contextualization. It's called going to where they are and bending in the direction of those who don't yet know Jesus yet and saying, hey, listen, I'll hang with you so that you can hang with me for eternity. Hudson Taylor, he's a famous missionary, maybe not to you, but he is uh, to other missionaries, I guess. Anyway, he, uh, he grew up in the 1800s, and uh, he went to China around 1850, and he, uh, he did something that hadn't been done in, in modern, at that time, modern missionary work. He, he, he contextualized. He, he, got, he got to China, and he just looked at the culture, and he says, you know what? I see every guy in China at the time was wearing one of those braids that you see in the old pictures. They all had a braid. And so he grew out his hair, and he started braiding his hair, and that braid behind his head. He started wearing their clothing, you know, the, the typical, um, you know, uh, man's wear of the day. Had the big, you know, saucer hat and the, and the you know, the kind of whatever clothing they had. I don't know how to describe it. But he completely immersed himself in the culture, learned the language, uh, except for his white skin and English accent. Uh, he was Chinese. Now, the other missionaries, they would kind of roll up on the shores of whatever country that they were uh, you know, sharing the, the gospel in, and they'd build their fortresses. They'd build their compounds. And they would invite you know, the, the, the native people in to their churches, and, and like happens in so many of the cultures that uh, maybe you visit around the world, like in Africa, uh, the African culture, if it wanted to become Christian, it had to become English. And so people started wearing ties and drinking tea, and, and that was the way that they reached people. But Hudson Taylor says, that's not the way you're supposed to reach people. Paul said, I became all things to all people so I can reach them. So that's why I'm going to my 30th high school reunion. In a couple weekends, I'll be up in, oh, thank you for making me feel old. All right, anyway, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to my high school reunion because at my 10-year reunion, I went, I haven't seen him in 20 years, but at my 10-year reunion, I got uh, most changed because <laughs> I went there as a pastor and people were like, no way, no way, no way, I won most changed. And I got to talk to my friends about Christ. And listen, here's what I did. I went to the reunion. I went to the bars that they were going to. I sat in the places that they were at because that's where they were. I wasn't going to have you know, a small group at the church I used to go to in the town that I lived in. I, I went to where they were. I didn't know. Everybody's like, yeah, Mark, preach it. Okay. <laughs> this has its limits, people. Okay, if your non-Christian friend is getting floor-lick and drunk, it is not Christ's will for you to get drunk with them. Okay, you're kind of blowing it at that point. Please stop. But as much as you can, without offending uh, your commitment to Christ and the standards that he has for us, go where the people are. Fish where the fish swim, right? Share with them in a way that they can hear the gospel. Share, listen, more importantly, share with them in a way that they know that you care about them and not just putting a notch on your Bible for another soul saved. Are you with me? So for the first part of this conversation that Paul has here uh, with the leaders in Jerusalem, there is rejoicing because they were focused on the wind, but quickly the focus goes off of the wind and it goes on to the internal and the things that might happen as a result. And so the next thing we've got to understand is when we deal with Christians, we've got to recognize there's going to be differences. Recognize that Christians are going to be different. Just accept that. Don't be astonished by it. Just accept it. And if it doesn't go against your doctrinal stances, Accept them, love them, uh, learn from the differences in, in preferences and background. Uh, we are one big happy body in Christ. 
Uh, here's what happened in the book of Acts. Here's where it kind of changed. Uh, they rejoiced in, in all the, the, the news of, of souls saved, but then they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands? There, you've been at work. Lots of Gentiles have been coming to Christ, but thousands have trusted Jesus since you left Jerusalem. There are so many Christians running around here in Jerusalem, and Paul probably said, yay. Uh, but there are thousands that are, here, are, are among the Jews of those who have believed, and, and this is where it turns. They are all zealous for the law. No duh. When he says that, he says these Jewish Christians are still acting very Jewish. They observe all the Jewish feasts. They keep all the Jewish customs. They circumcise their kids on the eighth day. They're, they're in principle, Jewish Christians. Christians, but still functioning in a Jewish way. He says, so they're, they're very Jewish, and you've been hanging out with the Gentiles, and you're not as so Jewish anymore. He says, uh, they, they've been told by, by people, rumors have been spread, uh, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles because many Jews had left and, and lived in these Gentile regions. He says, you, you go into those churches and when a Jewish person becomes a Christian, you tell them they don't have to be Jewish at all. In fact, they don't have to uh, follow what Moses says. They don't have to be circumcised. You tell them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. And this was making these very ardent Jewish Christians a little miffed. James, who is saying all this, uh, he says, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do, therefore, what we tell you. And this is his ask of Paul. He says, Paul, here's what we want you to do. Just to avoid any consternation, any confusion, uh, any ill will between you know, the people who are leave it, believing this rumor, which isn't true, by the way. Paul is actually in Jerusalem for Passover. He's still very much uh, functioning amongst the, you know, the Jewish customs that these people are hearing that he doesn't. But he says, this is what we want you to do. Um, we have four men who are under a vow. This vow is, is the Nazarite vow, almost certainly. The Nazarite vow is this vow where people would shave their heads, as we're going to see in a second, and they would basically just have a period of time, at least 30 days, but it could last a little bit longer, where they just dedicated themselves to consecrating themselves to God. They would uh, abstain from uh, certain foods. They would give certain sacrifices. It was, it was kind of like us going away on a retreat for three days, but way more. Are you with me? They just, they just really wanted to focus in on following God as a part of their customs with this Nazarite vow. So here's what I want you to do. There's four of them, they're under this vow. I want you to take these men, and I want you to join them. I want you to purify yourself along with them. He wasn't saying you gotta do 30 days, but he was saying, listen, you're just back in Jerusalem after a long stay away. Go through the ceremonial cleansings that anybody would do as they're coming back to our temple and to our town. Uh, go through those things as a sign of your Jewishness or your Jewish heritage. Uh, go through those things, and then he says this, and pay their expenses. Did you know that in the Jewish faith, if you wanted to get you know, really serious about being you know, uh, Jewish and following God in the Jewish way, it was going to cost you. Like You had to give certain amounts of uh, sacrifices. Like Each of these Nazarite vows that these four men are taking require from each of them a female lamb, a male lamb, a, a, a ram, uh, several grain offerings, and they have to be given throughout the period of these 30 days or whatever it is that they're in this vow. Those, those things cost money, and so... James asked Paul, he says, hey, Paul, pick up the tab. All four of them. Pay for all of those expenses. And then uh, do that so that they, and this is why we think it's a Nazarite vow, so that they may shave their heads. They had to get a haircut, had to pay for those two. He says, thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, uh, but that you yourself are also living in observance to the law. Uh, James wanted to make sure that he wasn't you know, guilty of what uh, Paul had written about uh, in, in like the books of Galatians and in other books uh, of saying that you have to be Jewish in order to be a Christian. He says, I'm not saying you got to be, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, go against your teachings and go against the things that you've been saying about that. He actually reiterates what had already been established for Gentiles in Acts chapter 15 at the uh, Council of Jerusalem when there had been this huge controversies about whether or not Gentiles could be Christians at all. And Paul said, yeah, saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. I don't see anything there about you being Jewish. And so everybody had agreed, and they had come to this conclusion about Gentiles and the things that the Gentiles need to do in order to um, stick with what the Old Testament taught about following God and still have uh, a freedom in Christian faith by not becoming Jewish. He says, but as for Gentiles, this is what we believe, uh, or Gentiles who have believed, this is what we said, we have sent the letter, which came out of Acts 15, uh, with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols in their pagan worship. They would eat meats and, and, and foods that were sacrificed to idols. That's a no-no in the Torah. You don't do that, so we're asking them not to do that, so there's no confusion there. Asking them not to drink blood. Everybody say, ooh, ugh. But that was a part of their pagan rituals as well. They would drink the blood of animals. We asked them not to uh, eat from what has been strangled, another no-no in the Old Testament. And then we asked them to you know, not be involved with sexual immorality, which was also a part of their pagan worship. They would have temple prostitutes and the pagan religions they had. And, and, and here's what we're saying. Just those are the standards. There's more, but those are the biggies. And if you're going to be a Gentile. So James, all James was doing is saying, okay, I'm not... I'm not a Christian uh, bigot. I'm not a Christian you know, elitist. You don't have to be Jewish to be a Christian. These are the things. But Paul, in this particular circumstance, it's going to bode well for you during your time here in Jerusalem, how long it is, for you to kind of give this peace offering, this, this sign that you're with us so that there's no confusion amongst these new Christians who don't know you and uh, you could go on ministering freely. How do you feel when someone asks you to bend like that? I was, uh, I was uh, <clears throat> doing the funeral service. I was the preacher at my dad's funeral about five years ago. And it was being held in a church that we grew up in in eastern Canada. Uh, uh, that's where his family was from. And so uh, he had requested to be interned there in the family plot. And so he flew back to Canada and uh, had the funeral service in that church. I was... Uh, in a side room preparing my thoughts and getting ready to speak at my dad's funeral when the pastor came down uh, from that particular church. and He was very kind, uh, just a, a sweet man, but uh, uh, as he comforted me, he said, and one more thing, uh, we only read out of the King James Version here. We believe it's the only true version of the Bible. And so I don't know if you've brought one, uh, but if you speak today, I'd request that you speak from this version. And I'm, I'm, I, I struggle with my flesh, church, uh, if you didn't know that. And uh, my first thought was to tell the guy unkindly, no, this is my father's funeral. I'll use the Spanish translation if I want to. <laughs> when your dad dies, you pick what you ever, you know. That was my first fleshly thought. It's kind of like, how dare you? In the final moments before I preach in front of my father's remains, how dare you tell me how I'm going to do it? Then the Holy Spirit, thankfully, interjected in that little head conversation I was having. He said, Mark, it's the Bible. No big whoop. It's different, but it's not wrong. Them believing it's the only version of the Bible, just so you know, that's wrong. But is it worth a fight for you to do this 
in order to serve uh, this church and this, this service the way you want to. No, I didn't have one. I said, you got one? And he lent me his, and I went up there, and I had to find all the verses and read the vows, and it's not that big a deal. But that's one of the things uh, from my life history that I'll remember is just being a lesson of this, that when it comes to people's differences, if you grew up charismatic or not charismatic, if you grew up uh, you know, with the hymns or with the praise choruses, if you grew up you know, believing this about this and this about, listen, as long as it doesn't controvert our doctrine, love each other. Bend towards each other. Now listen, if, I'll say this too. If I had been there longer, like if I had been hanging out in that church, I'd want to sit down with them and talk to them about that, that belief. It's, it's not scriptural. It's, 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 not, it's not something they can persist in, I believe, uh, and hold as a, as a tenet of their faith because it's not, it's not major. It's not top shelf stuff. And I would have you know, I would have said, hey, let's talk about this lovingly. Why are we doing this? And if, and, if, and if my being there was dependent on me believing that, I wouldn't be there anymore because that's when, now we're moving into doctrinal stuff. But for that initial moment and that initial time, hey, man, let's bend. It's going to work. And, and, and if you've ever traveled abroad and go to churches, church is different. <laughs> uh, you, you guys start looking at your watches when we're about an hour and ten in. They haven't finished singing. All right? And, and just get comfy, because you're going to sit on a hard bench for three hours. You know, and we sit there as Americans, and we're like, oh, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> but we don't get up and leave, because it's our preference, it's what we're used to. We stick around, because this is the body of Christ. These are our brothers and sisters. And what matters more than me in the church is us in the church, and God being worshipped by us in the church. And if we could just figure that out, the church would work better and work with each other better. Got to understand there's going to be differences. Then we need to look for ways to bring unity to the church. We'll just finish with that. We need to look for ways to bring unity to the church. Anybody wondering what Paul did? There's just one verse about it. It's Acts 21, verse 26. It says, then Paul took them in. The next day, he purified himself just like James asked him to. He took the guys with him. He went into the temple. He gave notice as to when the days of the purification would be fulfilled. It was usually about a week, seven days. And then uh, the offering was presented for each one of them out of Paul's pocket in deference to the request. And why does he do it? Listen, I'll tell you why he does it. Because Paul doesn't know how long he's going to be in uh, Jerusalem. By the way, come back next summer and we'll pick that story up. Uh, this doesn't end well at all. He's not going to be in Jerusalem very long. But he's probably hoping to stay there for a little while, and he's hoping to do what he always does. He's hoping to go into the synagogues and into the temple, and he's hoping to share about his faith in Jesus Christ, and he's hoping to you know, do that arm-in-arm -arm with the other Christians in Jerusalem. And he just doesn't want to do anything that is going to jeopardize the win in his time in Jerusalem. And so for him, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I'll pay for these guys to shave their heads. Let's do it. Because his hope, you can read it in Romans chapter 9, his hope is that his countrymen would come to know Jesus Christ. And he's in Jerusalem. It's full of his countrymen. And he doesn't want his preferences to stand in the way of his purpose. So the question today is, is that our heart? Are we here today understanding that uh, even if you left the church kind of disgruntled because you didn't like the way they do it, if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, they're still brothers and sisters in Christ. You should pray for them, not against them. 
You should speak well of them, not ill of them. Because they're on the same team. Maybe they made a mistake in dealing with you and there was hurt, hard feelings and stuff like that. But bottom line, that happens. Uh, I hope we're not a disappointment to you as a church, but we run the risk of that. Guess why? Because there's a bunch of sinners saved by grace living in this church. We're going to make mistakes and things. But listen, what, what, what Jesus says is that my prayer is that despite those mistakes, despite those hurts, this body would work together, and this body would work with the other bodies together, and we would see the mission fulfilled. We must choose unity. And then, like I said earlier, as we bend where possible, we need to understand the difference between preference and principle. We need to understand the difference between personal desire and between biblical doctrine. We've got to make sure that we're not imposing our likes and imposing our wants on those of others when it's not something that God commands. See, Jesus had this vision of his church. It didn't end with a bunch of fishermen from Galilee and a tax collector and some, some folks who had kind of walked around Israel with them for three or four years. He knew that this was going to be the, the hope of the world. He, he knew that red and yellow, black and white, they, they're going to be precious in his sight. He knew that everybody is meant to know and follow Jesus Christ. But everybody's going to be different. And if it's going to work, if people are going to know me and follow me, that's what he prayed in the garden. I pray that they'll be one so that people will want to know and follow me. Let's not be the Christians that stand in the way of Christianity. Let's not be the church that keeps the church from growing. I pr- I, listen, I'm so grateful that we're not. I don't sense that in us at all, but let's just keep that in mind. We're here for a purpose. It's to see people one for Christ, not to get our preferences. May we honor God in that truth. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word and uh, a chance to just understand uh, from a guy like Paul, who I don't sense from reading about him in other places. He was a a, a pushover. Uh, He he stood up for what mattered. Uh, He he would... uh, write sternly uh, to those who are moving away from the doctrinal things that you uh, have deemed to be pure in your word. But uh, God, when it came to, to creating peace and, 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 and bringing unity to a church, he was willing to do whatever that took. Uh, may that be our story, God. May we be willing uh, in our life groups and in our ministry teams and, and anywhere in this church where we run into each other, may we, maybe we, we be willing uh, to... Uh, to accept and to, and to seek understanding about where we're coming from and where we've been and, and the things that could divide us, God. I pray that there are things that unite us all the more and that we become even more concerted in our mission to reach people for you. Help us to remember the difference between preference and principle and the difference between desires and doctrine. And help us to honor you, God, as your church. I pray in Jesus' name.